0: Good evening and welcome, friends, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, whether you're across town or across the globe. I'm your host, Karen Tate, one of the 13 most influential women of goddess spirituality because of this show, Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you for your listener loyalty and for being such an important part of the Voices of the Sacred Family. Wherever you're listening from, and I know the demographics are pretty far and wide, Dubai, Italy, the U.K., Australia, across the U.S., just to name a few of the places some of our listeners call home. Well, that song that uh, I played uh, almost in its entirety uh, entirety tonight is by uh, Jan Aldridge Clanton, and it's called Wisdom Sophia. Just what we need more of in the world, I'd say, and I think you'll probably agree. You know, most of us have come to realize patriarchy, ruled by male-dominated society, revering solely a male god, is not working for Mother Earth or most of the people on the planet. How do we counter beliefs that there's no option but the authoritarian father? How does society go about making a course correction? How do ideas that permeate every level of society, from womb to tomb, boardroom to bedroom, voting booths to the workplace, shift into a more fair, equal, and just world of partnership, sharing, caring, peace, and balance. Well, those are exactly the questions discussed on this long-running radio show, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, dedicated to the Sacred Feminine as deity, archetype, and ideals. Never before has an internet radio show cast such a wide net to include so many voices whose ideals are in alignment with Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology. If we can imagine it, vision it, and restore ancient truths swept beneath the rug and kicked to the curb by patriarchy, then we can manifest. It. Tune in each week and hear solutions from these visionary scholars, way-showers, foremothers and activists, women and men, dedicated to reshaping our world. That means rethinking, reclaiming, reimagining, being willing to take responsibility for our own educations and reinterpret. That's why after my interview tonight, I hope you'll stick around as I share some words of wisdom from Ariana Huffington and a short essay, essay by Glennis. Livingstone, Ph.D., titled Feminism and the Future of Religion. So, setting that aside for now, let's turn our attention to my guest tonight. I'm so glad to have her returning to the show after a long time away. She is Zohara Hieronymus, discussing the future of human experience, Senate sisterhood, and what that means to women everywhere, the Good Earth Society, and other topics shedding light on that paradigm shift that's going to change the world. Let me give you a little taste of her extensive credentials making such a difference in the world out there. Jay Zohara Meyerhoff Hieronymus, DHL, is an award-winning radio broadcaster, social justice and environmental activist, and professional artist. She founded the Ruscomb Mansion Community Help Center in Baltimore in 1984 and hosted the daily regional radio program The Zoe Show from 92 to 2002 and the national radio program Future Talk from 2002 to 2008. She co-hosts 21st Century Radio with her husband Robert Hieronymus and lives in Owings Mills, Maryland. Zohara, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me this evening.
0: So um, you have done what uh, what I ha- uh, have actually um, be, you know started to do. Uh, you you have a wonderful anthology out, uh, and I say what I have started to do because I actually did the same thing. I took some of the guests, uh, some of my top tier guests from Voice of the Sacred Feminine, and the anthology Voices of the Sacred Feminine: Conversations to Reshape the World is actually coming out in August. And, um, you know, I I can understand your logic. You know, these voices need to be out there where people can find them besides in our archives. And uh, you've had some pretty incredible uh, voices on your show and in this book, The Future of Human Experience, haven't you?
1: Well, you know, I've been in radio for over 30 years and have interviewed some of the most wonderful men, women, and children professionals as well as just lay people in so many fields, from archaeology to zoology to cryptozoology to space travel to biodynamic farming. Mm -hmm. So what I decided after having focused on Kabbalah for a while um, in our last program was this book is particularly the synthesis of about 1,000 of my guests down to about 60 or 80 of them. And I focused in the future of human experience, visionary thinkers on the science of consciousness, And like Dr. Raymond Moody, Dr. Larry Dawsey, Michael Cremo, John Perkins, Dr. Mehmet Oz. there's so many wonderful people whose work, when you put it together, is a weaver. And only somebody, really, who has had the opportunity to interview and to read all the books and all the papers of all of these people over periods of decades has a perspective other people might not have. And so mm-hmm. what I tried to do was look at how all of these different visionaries and all of these wonderful creative people that love the earth, love humanity, want to see us elevate and change our perspective and, therefore, our action, was I focused on the body of the world, the mind of the world, and the soul of the world. Because I believe, in, if you look at the Hermetic axiom, as above, so below, as within, so without, which permeates every sacred society and every esoteric system on the earth because it's the fundamental methodology by which symbology and stories and mythologies and archetypes work, um, is to really see that everything that's in the world, as the Vedas would tell us, is also in our own bodies. So, for instance, if we're looking at the body of the world, I looked at farming and how the earth itself in a sustainable fashion can elevate all of consciousness and all of human experience.
0: Hmm.
1: How, as an example, when you lose the value of your topsoil, the planet herself will move towards a glacial age. So while we may experience these hot, hot temperatures, we're also going to be cold, cold ones. And so global warming really historically is a precedent prior to a glacial age because you need to remineralize the soil. So I showed as an example When the black forests were dying and they sprayed mineral dust, rock dust, from rivers, they were restored. In the same way, if we restore the soil, we restore our awareness and our consciousness that everything from the soil up is us. We and the soil and the carbon atoms and the worms, we're all one being. So that the human system of the lungs or the trees of the earth and our river system or our arteries like the ocean And so the earth and the human are the same actual cosmology, just in different scale. So what I do in this book is I show how human consciousness has the ability to manifest any idea, because that's what we do, we're co-creators, and that when we envision things richly, when we actually restore our heart awareness to the wholeness of things, Anything we do will change everything for the better, even if it's how we sweep in our house or the tone of our heart when we prepare a meal or our attitude when we're in a supermarket and somebody butts in line. All of these little things are actually colossal events changing the entire planet, not just our own little personal microcosm. So I know I've said a lot in a very short period of time, but I try to show in the future of human experience why our consciousness is the driver for evolution. The world isn't just happening to us. We are happening to the world.
0: Well, and I think probably where we really go wrong and where we could start to um, consciously set things right again is if uh, everyone really not just paid lip service to it, but really believed that everything is interconnected, don't you think? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, everything really is, and we have no choice. As I always say, it's together or together. (laughs) That's really the choice. We're either going to do it together or we could pretend that we're not together and fight each other and have division. You know, I, I listened to your introduction, and when you were talking about sharing and caring and peace and balance, it reminded me of the prophetess Devorah, who was this great judge, and she stands in Kabbalah in the middle of the tree of life, which stands for truth and beauty, And it makes me think of these Senate sisters, these 20 women and all the other women coming into places of leadership worldwide, which is really what is a natural unfoldment from a Kabbalistic point of view in the descent of the light. Um, And I'll explain that in a minute. But the thing that's so beautiful is that as each human, male and female, comes more into their intuitive right hemisphere and then uses the left hemisphere, which is the rational, discerning, more male aspect of ourselves, we can have what others have called whole-brain thinking. And when we have whole-brain, it's like being a full moon and a new moon. It's being a mm-hmm. sun and a moon. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's the place that we're arriving at. It's not just that women are going to come into world power, but they are, and it's essential. And we, we know from um, studies that if you look at the tree line of a nation and the education of the women, you can tell without even going there how much poverty, disease, destruction and violence, there will or won't be. And it's interesting to me that the tree line and women's education are comparable measures to the health of a community.
0: Well, talk a little bit about that, Sohara. I mean, I've heard that, you know, of course, the more educated the women are, then that benefits the children, that benefits the community. Everybody's quality of life becomes more uplifted, you know, rather keeping women ignorant and barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. But I don't know about the tree line part of this.
1: Well, what's so interesting is they found that the more educated the community, the less decimated the environment. Meaning oh. they began to understand through their own like inner um, capacity to be inclusive. I think the bottom line here is exclusivity or inclusivity. Mm. Patriarchy is a very exclusive, aggressive, violent um, instinct. It's reptilian. It's like the reptilian old brain, the the right. fight for survival. But right. most of the fight are false fights. They're not real fights of value. They're not ethical battles. They're not anything to elevate. It's generally the and diminish. wedge issues, and usually. Diminish. Totally. I mean, don't, don't media, you think they're usually
0: wedge issues or totally. you know, religious, you know, no religious dogma. About it. Yeah.
1: No question about it. And then the media, unfortunately, has become sort of the choir of division, the choir of degeneration. And the choir, really, that, that has minimized women has... Um, sort of made them objects, objectified them, and returned them basically to looking like um, little whore dolls for our culture. And this goes Mm. all the way down to those little pageants for little girls where they dress them up as little slut women, and they parade them around, these darling little children, exposing them to an egoistic materialism that objectifies them as a product rather than as an essential beautiful little girl. Yeah, and if you yeah. look at that as really the beginning, and you can see it right from the start, I mean, not to mention nations that kill their daughters when they're born, not to mention families that devalue the fact that a daughter has been born, not to mention those that are, you know, killed because a daughter was born. All of these things are going to change, and they have to change. And it's, it, to me, it's, it's a beautiful time to be alive. Because while we have the greatest challenges we've had in a really long time for humanity on this planet, we also have the greatest opportunity. You know, I think think all esoterics... Go ahead.
0: Well, I was gonna well and to piggyback on what you said about you know uh, objectifying the little girls and you know one of my pet peeves is the uh, you know is the cosmetic industry and the fashion industry because really I mean look at the money they make by telling women they're not good enough unless they spend tons of money I mean millions of dollars from everything from tightening their vaginas to anal bleaching to Botox. You know, when we, and, and are we surprised when women end up with anorexia, bulimia, you know, uh, they, you know, try to make themselves so thin they look like little boys, Um, you know, it, it just goes against nature, you know, and it, it's sad really how, um, it, I, I mean, I know it's difficult. I've been married for 30 years. I don't have to give in to it. But, um, you know, for women out there, they, uh you know, I, I think it's very difficult, you know, not to give in to it. And uh it, it's just one of my pet peeves, you know. I mean, there's so many things to rail against and maybe even more important, but uh, that's, that's just one of them.
1: But you know, the, the beautiful thing about this time period and the appreciation of what quantum physics has brought to the table in terms of the hermetic traditions and the esoteric traditions and the native people's traditions of honoring the earth and that all are connected is that now we can prove it. We can prove it through physics. It's no longer just an expression or a sentiment or a belief it can be shown how it is that consciousness changes matter. So when we appreciate that consciousness changes matter, then it means that every person in the listening audience this very moment is in the position to elevate their own community, their household, the people they work with, the people they bump into, the people they dream about, the people they see on television. You know, any time any one of us stops for a moment and prays for somebody else, and I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about heartfelt compassion, um, a loving expression of um, solidarity and solace for somebody else's suffering. This is the way in which we elevate somebody else who is suffering. And they've always said, you know, you share the suffering with someone and you elevate and lessen their burden. So when we pray, when we actually ask for divine right order for anything, anybody, any situation, let's say there's a big storm and there's a lot of loss of life in a community a thousand miles away, any one of us who prays for them literally changes the impact of the event on those people. In the same way, we can even, through forgiveness, change the impact of history. So, for instance, a person who has been abused or a nation who has been at war, when we can forgive those who have done harm, we take away their power vibrationally from the residue of that signature waveform, if you're following this image, and its impact on our physical form. So in non-speak that's not physics, in an emotional sense, when we forgive the abuser, whether it's a system of government, an individual, or a policy, we move into another space of being able to lessen their control and therefore we open up to a greater, higher creative thinking and a higher sort of resonance of feeling, which means we have the capacity to lessen its power. You know, it used to be, as an activist and as a very aggressive sort of um, sportsman when I was younger, always playing attack, uh, is is I always was very oppositional. And it's only as a woman now at the age of 60 that I have really come to appreciate the parables and the teachings of forgiveness, and that there's a gentleness that has much greater strength than opposition. So that I, I feel like the thing that's changing most is our awareness of how to make change. Making change does not necessarily mean resisting and fighting the other. It means being bigger and broader and brighter and more loving to bring more people more hearts and more hands to the table so yeah. as an activist go ahead
0: yeah and and uh, actually that's something that I've been sort of struggling with myself you know because mm-hmm. as an activist you know you you're, you don't want to get steamrolled by the other side So how do you hold them off while at the same time you maybe usher in something better? And I think what Mm -hmm. I've come to maybe understand and, and you, you tell me if, you know, if it sounds like I'm starting to get it because you seem to have a good grasp of it. Rather than be, rather than fight the Republicans, rather than, you know, fight the multinational corporations, you know, and everything that's going wrong out there before The positive, the opposite of it. So to be, you know, to be for women's rights, to be for human rights, to be, uh, for organic form, farming, to be for peace, you know, to be, to, you know, to actively walk that talk rather than give Mm -hmm. energy to the you know the other end of the spectrum is is that how this you know is that how you're saying this work
1: i think it's a little bit of both but i think primarily as women we have the ability to do something bigger than oppositional activism that's what i'm saying and i think that's what the senate women have discovered you know when you look at just the record these few women um... have in terms of what they pass you know, whether it was chairman Mikulski of senate appropriations who helped avoid the government shutdown and then Chairman Patty Murray of the Budget Committee, you know, passed the first Democratic budget in four years. Uh, Barbara Boxer of the Environment and Public Works Committee saw a 105 billion transportation bill, a 12.5 billion water resource bill, on and on. And what you discover is, except for immigration reform, every major bill passed this session was authored by a woman. And a beautiful story by Jane Newton Small details this at um, time.com, but when you think about that, they didn't do it by fighting anybody. What they did it, they did it by gathering the strength of supporters for the positive action. And I think that's not what the patriarchy is used to. The only thing that the old world knows from a reptilian perspective is, is polarity. And this duality notion that Christianity and so many fundamentalist traditions have taught us is truth, I don't find to be true. It, it's a false um, premise that there's duality in the world. There's not. There's this and this. It's not white and black. It's white and black. It's not yes and no, yes or no. It's yes and no. It's not Republican or Democrat. It's Republican and Democrat. And I think that the more each of us can find that in our own lives, because all of these things, I think, you know, it's one thing to have the idea and the understanding. It's quite another to be able to bring these things into our daily lives and actually live them. So like yeah, here's a little, go ahead.
0: Well, I was just to say, yeah, it's very difficult, you know, because as it I is. said before, you know, you know, you feel, have this impulse that, you know, uh, how do you fight them off, uh, you know. Well, and, and
1: also that, that sense of anger and, and indignation yeah. and righteous anger is a very powerful uh, force, but then when you have it, it's not to use anger but to use love. And I think for myself, I have always, anger was a fuel for me for most of my life as an activist. And as a broadcaster whistleblower, I ran a decade whistleblowing program that was very dangerous. And it was, I, you know, not only was it my love for the truth, but also I, I understood anger. I would get so angry at these things, but I've discovered something else that doesn't eat me alive and makes me feel more peaceful. And when I have more peace, I'm able to bring peace to others no matter who it is. And when we bring peace to anybody we meet, we are literally elevating the world because that's a vibrational well, reality.
0: So, Zohara, you know, I don't think the Senate sisterhood is getting a lot of press. Now, I, I mean, it might just be I missed it, you know, but it seems to me um, uh, not a, a big enough deal has been made about what these women have accomplished. Um, do well, you agree? why would the
1: press? You know, when you, when you look at the power base worldwide, it's still a patriarchy, no matter how you cut it. And um, James DeMeo of the Oregon um, Research Center out in Washington State did a beautiful study on Saharasia, Asia, and he discovered that the great desert belts were also the greatest brutality on the planet, and that if you followed the desertification of land, so we're talking about aridification anywhere, you get a more brutal culture. So the less green there is, the more brutal it is. So there, And what I've discovered is you can have a, desert for, a desertification of the heart,
0: yes.
2: not
1: just of your environment. And that's what my book, The Future of Human Experience, keeps doing. It keeps bringing us back to our own inner experience of these outer phenomena. So when there are forest fires, we have to ask ourselves, do we have a tremendous amount of anger running around the planet? You know, these are all of the elements are the same, whether it's air, water, fire, earth out there or within us. So our emotions reflect actually the the natural structure of the world. So we have fiery energy. We have loving water energy. You know, we have beautiful different sunshine energy. (laughs) In -hmm. the same way, there are all these other different energies in the world. So when we talk about sustainable energy as an example or zero-point energy, Mm -hmm. what we're talking about is unconditional love. Within, and on the outside using the energy that's available to us you know, in a way that's free. But all of these things are developmental within us as much as without us. So this well, is why I took 10 years off to study Kabbalah, because what I discovered as an angry, charging activist and a loving humanist is that I had to find a way to manage myself. And I, and right. I think that that's the bottom line for evolution, is that each human being... We're all here to do service, every one of us. No one gets out of that. We're all here to help everybody else around us. We're all here to evolve, and we're all here to become self-managed humans. And once we can manage ourselves at least better than we did yesterday, then each thing each one of us does improves the world, and we can only see better change.
0: Well, let let me ask you this, because I'm somebody who understands by example better than just, um, you know, a metaphorical or uh, you know theory. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as an as an as an activist, for instance, you know you've been an acti- environmental activist and uh, all your other activism. How do you do it differently now versus uh, how you used to do it in in very real terms?
1: Okay, in very real terms. So. When I was younger, and I would fight certain environmental actions like the spraying of dimolin or something for gypsy malls, that's just an ex- one example years and years ago. And so I went and fought and brought all the information and the material and, and the guy who was from the Department of AG said, "This stuff is so safe he'd spray it on his children." And I started weeping at that time internally and a little bit visibly outside because I realized that this man who I was hating because he was going to spray the stuff that I knew was a carcinogen or would give birth defects or some other genetic problem to humanity, actually believed it was safe enough to spray on his children. So that was the beginning of a turn for me. So today then, instead of going and fighting the chemical corporation, though I've written about it as chemical warfare, and that's what it is, all of these chemical... Um, companies that make pesticides and fungicides and insecticides that we spray all over our territories is chemical warfare and much of it is the same material actually deliberately used in chemical warfare like DDT, Agent Orange that's actually in some of the genetically modified roundups soybean spray so now what I would do then is go and support the bee growers you know that's an example Mm -hmm. if we're like if you're It's not that you don't address legislation. It's not that you don't do the good things. But you don't have to do them with anger. You have to do it with a different perspective, which is to find how to reach the heart of the person you're talking to. And I can't say I'm very good at it.
0: Yeah, I see what you're saying. So I'm not saying necessarily don't march in the street, don't sign petitions, uh, you know, don't, uh, you know, have movie nights and look at, you know, documentaries that can educate yourself on this you're just saying do it all with a different attitude don't do it with hate don't do it with animosity You know, try to come from a much more loving place um, as you do whatever action is necessary
1: that's what I believe And, and I believe that that's the transition that is happening right now in the activist community many of whom the leaders are in their 60s, 70s and 80s we've been at this a really long time and the younger generation comes out yelling and screaming and throwing batons. And, but they also know how urgent things are. And so I think the bottom line to all of it is that it's all of us or none of us. And right. that this, is, this is a global community. And actually it's a much bigger galactic community that we're part of. We're just little babies at using our free will properly, but we're learning. Um, is, is to look at everything we each do and see what we can do differently each day. You know, and that means changing a habit as much as like Mm -hmm. changing the way we think. You know, sometimes I am so surprised at some of the cuss words that have come out of my mouth about (laughs) something totally meaningless. I drive a truck. Since I started driving my truck, I'm cussing a lot. I think it comes, I think it comes with the engine. It, it, it downloads cuss words into your brain. But I've noticed, and, and it's letting me like really feel that sort of truck drive energy. And right. I get it now. I really get that macho, testosterone, foot-to-the-pedal power.
0: Yeah. At the same yeah.
1: time, I don't use it abusively. I use it on the highway to keep myself safe, You know, to get yeah. around a bad driver. It's the same thing in our person. I'm a very... Yeah strong woman. I'm very petite, but I have a lot of power and courage and hope and prayer for our world and our future generations. And I can use it to be careful, but to also be compassionately aggressive.
0: Right. I and, and I, I think you it. said some something that was key, too, when you said about forgiveness. You know, yes. I know myself, um, it, it seems. I don't know whether this is just coincidence, but it seemed like since we had that Grand Cross, which is not that long ago, but mm-hmm. there seemed to be a shift, at least in my personal energy, and I just don't have the desire to you know, amp up and fight like I used to. Instead, I sort of almost feel sorry for some of these crazies on the other side because I, I know they're coming from a place of fear and ignorance and, you know, they're afraid to lose control and the world's exactly. changing. And,
3: exactly. Um,
0: and I don't know if that makes sense, but I think about that now where before I just used to think, oh, God, I can't wait to you know, you drop off the face of the earth so maybe mm-hmm. the earth will survive, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the earth will take care of herself. And in my book, The Future of Human Experience, I talk about some of these realities of what has been seen by psychics, mediums, prognosticators, prophets, et cetera, and they've all seen a shift of less life on the planet in the coming century. But at the same time, there is not a single tradition that doesn't speak to the holiness of this time period. From a Kabbalistic perspective, as you come down the ladder of light, you know we came from being these non-physical beings and slowly came into denser and denser spectrums, and now we have these heavy bodies. We're still coming down that ladder of light. But when things get heavy and dark is when you have the greatest brilliance of light. It's sort of like a funnel. You know, the narrower the funnel, the finer the sand that can go through it, the coarser particles can't. That's what's happening right now on Earth. So we have this very fine, refined light penetrating the dark, dark kind of funnel in which people are getting new ideas and you find some of the most beautiful changes happening in the most desperate places and in places that have been decimated in the amazon or places who have been decimated in an inner city where now they have gardens and co-ops and you know holistic medicine for the people and it's so i think what's happening is that there's enough humans on this planet who have a soul awareness that is not materialistic it's not selfish and it's about continuing um, the richness of the free will human on earth and all it takes is each one of us doing our little part so if you have some space in your backyard you know put some bird seed out for the birds when the birds sing plants grow bigger trees are stronger it opens up the stomata of the plant that's in my book it talks about the research of how to end hunger so bird song which is also the frequency of Bach music, interestingly enough, played, I mean Mozart played on the field. Anyway, there, there are many um, solutions to every problem we have on the planet, whether they're personal, ecological, environmental, you know, whether it's financial, whether it's political. The challenge really is to find that place in each issue where things that are diverse overlap. You know, if you take two circles, like with your index finger and thumb in both hands, and you put your index finger and thumbs right up next to each other, what you have are like two looking glasses. But Mm -hmm. if you overlap those two fingertips over each other, Mm -hmm. you end up with three circles, three spaces. That little tiny place in the middle, it's called a vesica Pisces, but in the very Mm -hmm. little middle part, even if it's just a tiny fraction of overlapping circles, when we focus on that overlap, That's where we can bring unification. So I think as activists, back to that source discussion of how do we make change, is as activists we've always polarized. I've always polarized. You know, Mm -hmm. it's in war against whoever has power because Mm -hmm. it's generally the status quo, corporate, you know, Uh, old way of doing things, which is based on a war strategy. It's an acceptable risk strategy in everything, whether it's agriculture or medicine. You know, look at nuclear medicine. Totally acceptable risk strategy. It's like burn the village to save the house, you know, that kind of thing. Right, right. Anyway, is to find that little place where there's commonality. And for most people, it comes down to their personal experience in their families, with their children, with their health, with their love, with their fears, you know, and, and that's what I've discovered. So if you're in a situation, let's say you work someplace and they use bad bug spray in, and it makes you sick and you know it's not healthy for any of the workers, you just have to tell them you know that this spray not only makes you sick, but it's obvious it would make their own children sick. You know there's, there's ways, I don't know, every person's much more creative than I am in terms of a personal um, rapport with any human you speak to. And if you need to and you can't really talk to somebody, just visualize them, have the conversation with them in your head, and that's the beginning.
0: Okay. So, so, Hara, what do you believe the connection between feminism or honoring the sacred female and environmentalism is?
1: Well, I think, you know, from a Kabbalistic point of view, women are receivers and the earth is a receiver, meaning that we reflect everything, like the moon. So that anything you do to the earth, you do to yourself, just like a woman. Anything you do to a woman, you do to society. Because the woman is really the one that elevates everything back up. The the woman is born with extra what's called bina in Hebrew, which means understanding. There's this innate capacity of women to have deeper insight, intuition than men. It doesn't mean men can't be intuitive, but women just naturally have a little extra Intuition. In the same way the earth and all earth systems are in constant communication between themselves, I think women in general, because we are made to give life, to give birth, have a natural instinct to nurture. And when you nurture, it's no different than what nature does. So I, I think the relationship between how women are treated on earth and how the earth is treated on earth, <laughs> that sounds funny, how the earth is treated on earth, how we treat our environment are the same issue. And it's, it's, it's about reverence. You know, bottom right. line, it's reverence. And so I can scream about the patriarchy all I want, but there's also women who are equally involved in some form of diminishment of the world. It, right. it wouldn't happen otherwise. So all of us have some little part in it, whether it's we've dumped a gallon of paint down the drain without thinking about it, you know, or we sprayed a bunch of bug spray outside and didn't give two thoughts to it, or we sprayed garbage on our lawn and poisoned all the worms and everything else under our soil. All of these things are related. And so I think, again, the bottom line for me is what I discovered is that consciousness of each person. I mean, this is what I discovered after we're talking about decades of study mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. all sacred systems as well as science, is that I believe that human consciousness, and so we're talking about the soul here, we're not talking about the body at the moment, Tell you about the soul. The soul in a body has the capacity to make immaterial become manifest. So the soul in the body through consciousness actually elevates things. That's why they say when we look to the future, let's say everybody has fear of earth changes.
0: Well mm-hmm. instead of
1: having fear about the earth changes If we can spend some of our time imagining dome cities that are healthy, underground housing that escapes all of the changes above the earth, if we can start to actually think creatively out of love into community rather than isolation and everybody building their own, and devastation, yeah, and devastation, we add to the earth's capacity for restoration. You know, that's really the bottom line. We're at a period of restoration.
0: So getting to uh, you know back to women as leaders, women as diplomats or peace negotiators, uh, do you think women actually are um, hardwired to do this better? you know Is it about the hormone oxytocin?
1: Oh, I think that's a component of it, no question. But we could give every man a pet and they'll get some. They can pet the pet, pet the dog, talk to the bird and oxytocin is what everybody experiences. I again it comes back to nurturing. You know, I think when you have a womb you are designed already to receive. And as a receiver you have to make room as a male, let's just think about the phallus for a moment. It ejects. It sends out semen, and that's its thing. It projects outside itself. It's an mm-hmm. emanator. Mm-hmm. A woman receives the sperm and then mm-hmm. has a baby grow inside her. So a woman naturally has this ability to move her ego out of the way and make space for somebody else's feelings and needs. Right. And that's the simplest way to describe it. But what's happened, interestingly enough, from, again, A Kabbalistic point of view is women are naturally receivers, but we're being asked to be emanators. The man used to be the emanator. You know, he'd shed the light. The woman would take care of the home. I'm talking about sort of the parable, not the actual thing. And now women are running households, running factories, running corporations, running schools, going home, doing the laundry, doing the cooking, taking care of the sick baby, and thinking about the corporate merger. So women are now asked to do both things. They're asked to be Mm -hmm. receivers and emanators. And Mm -hmm. this is why women are becoming so strong, because we have moved out of our native capacity as just receivers, and we have been asked by planetary evolution to become emanators. So we are now becoming compact energy units that can receive and send, and men are still, for the most part, emanators. They're not receivers.
0: So, so is part of the solution to uh, get men to be more nurturing, to be givers and to be receivers more than just the emanators?
1: I believe so. You know, my mother, who has passed away 20-some years ago, once said that she thought all 18-year-olds, before they enlist in the military, go into the birthing room and watch a baby be born. Mm-hmm. It was brilliant. I didn't understand it at the time. But I get it, and I believe so, yes. You know, we've done so much to erase the feeling, caring, instinctive nature of little boys. Don't cry, be brutal. You know, some of that's Mm -hmm. changed.
3: But in the age
1: of Yesod, which we're in Kabbalistically, in the Tree of Life, there's these ten spheres or balls of activity that actually are structured like the human body. And where we are right now is down around the generative organs. And we can see this in the expression in our society where women take on men's roles, men take on women's roles, sometimes a man becomes a woman, sometimes a woman has gender transference and they become a man, and sometimes they're both sexes, and there's a lot of confusion around the sex and the person. But ultimately it's not about sex, it's not about gender organs, it's about consciousness. You know, it's about Mm -hmm. a balanced heart, a balanced soul, a balanced mind, and balanced action. And what kind of genitals we have is irrelevant
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely, because uh, you know women can do uh, just as much damage without a penis yeah. uh, you know than than men do with their penis, you know so yeah. this I- I- idea that uh, you know to put all the evil on men's shoulders well you know i I, I think that's uh, that's rather foolish um, well, and
1: we've all been men you know we've all been men and women, we reincarnate into. Different bodies all the time. So this life I might be a woman, and last life I may have been a woman, and before that a man, and next life who knows? You know. And, and, and so, as do you evolve, think we carry?
0: Do we carry that in our? Um, oh, I don't know. Our our our, our memories of past I lives. I so. Yes. I believe yeah. so.
1: I think, And not only our own genetic memory, you know, not only our own soul memory, like when they've done so many beautiful studies through Ian Stevenson's work of showing birthmarks on people and the birthmarks are where they actually had an injury from their prior life. But it's not only just our own history that we are expressing. We're also expressing the biogenealogy of our ancestors this, of this life. So I have several, you know, rounds of great-grandparents who were running from the Cossacks. I've had this natural fear that's partially that I'm Jewish, but it's also just this genetic thing that runs in the blood. So all of us are a storehouse of the planetary memory. You know, the Akashic record that is the combined sort of record of all human soul activity now, yesterday, and tomorrow, um, we all have access to. So again, I come back to the bottom line, as I do in the future of human experience, visionary thinkers on the science of consciousness, it's how we do what we do that matters more than what we do. And what I mean by that is if I am a cleaning woman, if I do it with love, it's much better than if I'm an angry cleaning woman who just wants to get the job over to pick up my pay.
0: Right, you know, I understand. If I'm
1: cooking a meal and I'm angry, don't cook the meal. Wait till you feel better or have somebody else cook it that night.
0: Yeah, don't, if you feel resentful. Um, yeah. Well, you know, and, and I just read an article recently, too, about trauma um, you know we're talking about genetic memory that trauma uh, if, if your if your great grandmother or your grandfather had trauma in their life that they're starting to think that that trauma actually is residual and goes down you know from generation yep. to generation I believe it does. and and you that's react to that bio- as well
1: yes. exactly that's what i meant by biogenealogy and and okay. so you know each one of us who can repair ourselves from our own wounds and our own hurts and our own sort of um, lack of forgiveness, um, those are things we can work on without permission. You know the freedom of the human soul is that we can grow as much as we want if we choose to, and no one can stop us. no one, not the government, not a parent not a not a spouse nobody this is this mm-hmm. is the inner freedom that each human soul has and so when we understand that we can create lives for ourselves and maybe it, it won't be so great on the outer but as we start to really work on the inner then eventually it's going to reflect on the outer, on the outer and we
0: can't
1: yeah. and we can always control, in fact most of the time we can't control the outcome of our actions But we, and here's a really quick example I have a dog, I have many dogs but one had a really hurt foot, I've been nursing it, nursing it, nursing it for three weeks day and night, he runs away comes back with the wound on his foot, and somebody said to me, all that time and effort for nothing. And I felt to myself, and then I said to this other person, you know, I can't control the outcome, but no, it's not for nothing. Even if he had come back, like, or even if he didn't come back, what if he had died? It wasn't for nothing. The good that I did for that dog was the good for the world and the good for the dog species and the good for me in terms of staying dedicated to service and healing, whatever I'm healing, whether it's a dog, a human, a tree, a plot of land. That's right. what I'm saying. It doesn't matter what we're doing. It's how we do how we what do we it. do that really changes not only our own lives. Because I'm glad you're repeating it because
0: it's starting to sink in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, in mm-hmm. So, so let, let's talk a little bit about the right wing a bit. Um, I saw on the uh, on the internet just a few days ago that Fox News is. Um, uh, ratings are the lowest than that they've been in ages. Um, I would like to think it's because people are getting disgusted with the fear-mongering, with the divisiveness so. and, and all you of know, that. You know, it
1: depends what state you're in. The red states are run by fear yeah. and that far right. The blue states yeah. are very liberal humanists and right. want to see people have choice. You know, the, the right. cornerstone of law, if I might do a quick diversion, because I was a whistleblower and a constitutionalist for a very long time, And I pointed out to everybody that as a jury man or woman, you have a right to sit in judgment of the case and the law. If somebody is accused of a crime in which there was no harm to another person or their property, you should say the person is innocent because it's as if the law itself is unconstitutional, meaning the cornerstone of constitutional law is that if there's no injury to a person or their property, it's as if no crime has occurred. So all the laws against prostitution, all the laws against you know, drug use, those are unconstitutional laws. So if you sit on a jury and somebody's accused of prostitution, you have to find them not guilty. You have mm-hmm. to find them innocent because the law itself is unconstitutional. There's a group called jury nullification, and they educate people. No judge and no lawyer will tell a juryman man or woman anymore that their obligation, not just their choice, their obligation is to judge the case and the law. So these are very powerful tools. So in the same way in our own lives, when somebody comes into our life, we have an obligation to judge the situation and whether or not that person is like outside all ethical bounds are they inside ethical? You know, we can love bad people. Sure. And so then we have to decide how to address the behavior and still love the person. And I think ultimately as an activist, I'm circling back, that's the same thing.
0: So, so hard, how, do you, how do you reconcile abortion in that scheme of thought?
1: Same, same way I reconcile drug use. You know, while I myself have never had to do that, nor do I think I ever could, I think it's about education, not law. It's nobody's right to tell a woman what she can or can't do with her body. It's nobody's right to tell a man what he can or can't do with his body. And nobody right. does, by the way.
0: Right, exactly. We can
1: educate women and say, look, you know, you're, you, you, you know this might heart, hurt your heart and soul for the rest of your life, or this is a soul that's trying to come through you, or whatever. But souls, I have to say, until a, until a body is born, the soul does not incarnate. And souls sometimes choose an aborted situation, not for themselves, but as a service to the mother or a service well, to the father.
0: Yeah, well, that, well, that was something, you know, because, I, I mean, I, re, I remember taking Kabbalah classes and, you know, mm-hmm. just very minimally. But that was something I found very interesting. You know, the thought was that, you know, the soul may be choosing not to come forward in this lifetime. So this idea that, you know that, that abortion is always wrong. Well, you know what if it's the what if it's the child's choice to you know not not come in this lifetime?
1: Yeah. Well, and I can't say that I'm wise enough to be able to look at each situation and know, but I do know that it's a collaboration of souls. The soul coming in. To a woman's body we all choose our place in time of birth I really believe that we may not say oh I'm going to go to 127 you know 19th Street but we can say I need this vibration and we look around and we find the vibration of that which we need to grow we choose situations where we're going to grow and um, these souls are all collaborating the father the mother and the soul that's incarnating. So there is a soul collaboration, and we don't know if in the prior life that soul coming in may have murdered that woman when she was a man. You know, So I'm not wise in that way. I, I don't have that kind of sight. But mm-hmm. I do have an understanding and an appreciation that these are not random events. There's been abortion on this planet for millennium. Ever since women could get pregnant, we've had abortion. There's always been herbal treatments for aborting children. There are reasons sometimes not to bring life into the world. Again, that's not how I would approach my own existence, nor would I hope people I love. But, again, it comes to education, and I think that's what's lacking in this world. We have no spiritual education. We have religion, and that's not spiritual. That's about right. property and control and territory and but a spiritual education then people would make a choice that's different it would be inclusive rather than exclusive rather than being afraid they couldn't raise the child they might find a community to raise the child or give the child up for adoption so i I think it's a lack of spiritual education and when people feel they have no choice and that they just can't bring that life into the world we don't give people a choice we don't right. give, our, our culture doesn't present it as really very viable choices. You know, it, there aren't really places you can go anymore um, to just say, to be nurtured. You're scorned. You know, you're not treated yeah. well. Women are like ostracized. So right, right. that's how it all developed, as it used to be. if a, you know, Anyway, it, it, that's a whole other topic. But I, right, I think right, the right, bottom right. line of all of this is love, love and service. And no matter well, what question we have in our life is to examine our own behavior. Is it selfish or is it selfless? And right. generally it's a little bit of both. But our intention is the primary carrier wave of everything we do. So again, if our intention is to be helpful somewhere, no matter how small that is, that's a really great gift to give. So right. I, I just want to leave our discussion tonight reminding everybody that everybody is a godly being and a very powerful co-creator. And if you see somebody hurting emotionally in the grocery store, you can smile at them. You know, if if you are on the road and you see somebody's on the side of the road, you can at least ask them, do you need help? Can I call somebody for you? We, we have lost this sense of humanity because everybody's so afraid of, of being sued, <laughs> of being, yeah. you know hurt in some way, but but there are, and if you're in a position where you can't physically do these things, you can send people a prayer, you can picture them well, like anytime I pass an accident on the highway, I always pray, may all those, you know, be restored to wellness, whatever it is, or if I see a dead animal on the road, I always pray for its spirit to elevate, Okay. And, and, and these are real things.
0: Two, two questions before I let you go, uh, and, and I know we're, we're probably going a little bit longer than you intended, but we spoke a little long on some subjects uh, than, than uh, I thought we would. Um, I, where I was going with the conversation before and we kind of got sidetracked, um, I wanted to know what you thought's behind the right-wing pushback against women's rights.
1: Well, again, you know, we're in the last throes of patriarchy. You know, in 100 years, this kind of thing is going to be different. And when the corporate is tied in to the far right, which it is, because it's all the same mentality, what we're talking about is a way of viewing, thinking, and feeling about the world, which is very selfish. That's really the most simple way to look at it. And when I discovered that, that you can look at policy as selfish or selfless,
0: mm-hmm. it
1: makes it much easier to determine who to work with and who not policy. to work with. Who right. to be a friend with, who not to be a friend with, what action right. to take, what action not to take. You know, right. is it right to call your friend when you're feeling that way, or is it not? You know, and so yeah, those are basic realities. So we're either receiving, or we're emanating. We're either selfish, or we're selfless. And generally, it's a little bit of both. But we can modify our behavior by practice and looking at ourselves. But I also find that that selfish and selfless barometer is a good way to judge should I go to that meeting, you know, should yeah. I go to this event? Uh, right. Is the intention to bring in more people and help the world, or is it to scare people, you know? so yeah, these are all about little, my ego or
0: something, you know?
1: Exactly. So I, yeah. I have these very little tools for myself that I've developed, and those are some of them after really decades of very serious <laughs> studies right. and thousands of details, but it comes down to something very simple, which is our intention to do good, our love, our compassion, our service, our humility. Yeah, it's all humility. about the motivation
0: and the intention.
1: Exactly, and our humility. So, you know, <laughs> reverence is really the cornerstone of transformation. And if each one of us can cultivate a little more reverence for life, then we're going to make better choices no matter what those choices are about.
0: Um, so finally, Zohara, to possibly leave this on a, a, a you know, continued high note, the Good Earth Society, is that something real?
1: I believe so. I think the Good Earth Society is already here. You know, I'm one of those who believes that everything that's happened in the world and everything that will happen in the world is already in some form of archetypal um, substance, meaning it's in the immaterial realm. What we decide to pull down, meaning they're all potentials, the Good Earth Society is a real potential right now. Peace on Earth is a real potential right now. No war is a real potential right now. What we each choose is what makes it's what determines which of those potentials will manifest and it's up to us that's why i mean the world is not just happening to us we're happening to the world so all of these potentials of perfection the good earth society garden of eden you know peace on earth these are what the soul knows this is actually what we're designed to accomplish and we will i have absolutely no doubt that this will be accomplished on this planet not this lifetime, maybe not next lifetime, but we will have that thousand years of peace and evolution, then slowly move out of the physical body again because we won't need it. But in the meantime, <laughs> it's, it's our job, each one of us, to do the best each one of us can do, no right. matter what it is. And I would say, after a big push for so many decades to think and work globally, work locally. You know, with earth changes coming and transformation and sudden changes because of environmental changes, um, work locally, develop neighborhood community, you know, take part in your food co-ops, take part in the community-supported agriculture, build your local networks, build your local franchises, build your local businesses, build your local middle class, build your local green spaces, build your clean water in your areas. It's very important that each one of us, wherever we live now, focus on our little place on the earth and make it the best we can. Sounds like good advice.
0: There's no place to go.
1: There's no place to go. You know, I can remember years ago thinking, oh, where can I go to escape earth changes? Well, there's no place to go. Because earth changes is a sign about person changes, internal changes for all of us. So anything you see in the outer world, folks, just ask yourself, do I ever act like a hurricane?
2: Do I ever flood
1: people with emotion? Am I ever a dictator? Do I ever war on the bugs? You know, right. all of these things. So that's what I've learned after all my years of covering world affairs and spiritual affairs is that everything we see... is
0: internal. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And so the it. more each one of us can do to come from a place of love and inclusion and harmony and service and reverence and humility the better choices we'll make in our own lives. And if all of us, all billions of us were doing this, there'd be nothing but the good earth society now. And the human goodness within each one of us is how we're designed. We are designed for this. That's why there's such a longing for it. It's not out of reach. It's in the heart. We're programmed to do it, and we will. So each one of us who's working on that now, we're just going to make it easier for the next group of souls who incarnate to do their part in elevating the earth. And in elevating awareness.
0: Well, Zohara, thank you for all of this. Uh, these these jewels of wisdom and insight tonight. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you. And would you tell listeners um, again how they can get in touch with you, uh, where they can get your book, where they can listen to you and Bob on the radio?
1: Sure. They can um, go to twenty first two one ST centuryradio.com, and that's our radio website. And then my personal website is Zohara, Z-O-H-A-R-A-online.com. I have all kinds of stuff up there. And then Bob has a new book coming out, which will interest you on Lady Liberty, and you can go to www.SecretLifeOfLadyLiberty.com. That's SecretLifeOfLadyLiberty.com. And again, my website is Zohara zohara and Bob and I take turns every other Sunday we host and it's 8 to 10 p.m. Um, out of WCBM Radio in Baltimore but online anybody can listen at 21 centuryradio.com. and thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk.
0: Well, I appreciate you being with us and tell Bob hello and thank Laura for all her hard work. And Bob is actually going to be on the show in uh, August talking about his new book, so I look forward to chatting with him again.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Zahara. Good night. Well, listeners, we're about to cross the threshold into the second half of the show. I hope you'll stay with me a bit longer. Uh, and enjoy the insights of uh, Ariana Huffington uh, as I share her 12 Steps to Thrive and Glennis Livingstone's essay, Feminism and the Future of Religion. But first, a few announcements and housekeeping tidbits before we get to that. I'm very excited to announce the long-awaited trip to visit Goddess Sites of Turkey in May 2015. And uh, the itinerary is being put together as we speak. And if you're interested in being on the tour of a small group of women and men we 're going to keep the group to around twenty. please let me hear from you so I can put you on the list to give you updates. Uh, Turkey is an incredible melting pot of goddess cultures it 's a diamond in the rough. you really can still feel the power of goddess there unlike many other places that have become overrun with tourists uh, when last I visited there uh, so many of the goddess sites that we went to they 're off the beaten path we could literally do whatever we wanted to do in terms of ritual, dance, movement, uh yoga, meditation, dream sharing. Um, it was just a rich, rich experience and uh we expect to do this again. And it may be the last time uh I'm gonna be taking a group to Turkey. So uh if you can put your pennies and nickels together and uh come with me and my co host James Riedfeld, who is an archaeologist and a professor of religion and probably the foremost authority on uh, Artemis of Ephesus, you won't want to miss this. Please come with us, uh, visit the home of Isis, Cabelli, Mary, Kubaba, Aphrodite, Magna Mater, and many more goddesses and the wonderful museums in Ankara. It's truly superb. And uh, last night I did a special show. I'm usually not on on Tuesday nights, but uh, there was a special last night. I uh, gathered together the facilitators of the upcoming Nashville Goddess Conference that's happening in July. I think you'll want to hear what they plan to uh, to offer at that conference. And uh, even if you can't make it, there was... Uh, a wonderful sharing and, uh, and insights and wisdom and ways you can reach their websites uh, to find out about what they teach and still maybe avail yourself of um, some of their, their knowledge. And I'm actually one of the uh, presenters for the Nashville Goddess Conference. I will be there as well. And uh, I'm told that um, if you can't make the conference, I believe there will either be a video or an audio of the conference that you might be able to get so uh, again, let me hear from you, get in touch with me, uh, let me know if you 're interested in going to the conference and getting videos or audios and um, I will find out that information for you. Also, closer to home, uh, Saturday, uh, this Saturday coming up, I'm at the Long Beach Woman Spirit Fair. Come visit me at my table. And you know what? If you have not yet picked up my book, Goddess Calling, it truly does show how we can have an alternative to patriarchy and how goddess spirituality sets us free. That's why it's called Liberation Theology. That's theology with an A. I think you will really enjoy it. And, you know, as Zohara was talking about, you know, it's, it's not just that we do things to make a difference. It's how we do things. And I'm so glad to be able to say, I guess I'm probably on track because a lot of the messages in the book are about resolutions, dreaming and inspiration, balance in all things, our real wealth the fires of transformation, the liberation of surrender, harmony from chaos, compassion, hope and fearlessness, goddess notices, all sorts of really good uplifting um, ideas that are within the realm of goddess spirituality that portray the ideals of goddess. And I have to say, you know, I have been getting incredible feedback. Um, You know, people are emailing me saying they love it, they can't put it down. So it really makes me feel good. And uh, if, if, uh, you know, you'd like to do me a favor, please uh, buy the book for yourselves or for your friends. You can get it directly from me or any of the online sellers or your local bookstore can order it for you. So, my dear listeners, uh, you who are the guests in my tank every week, um, please remember, don't forget the three Fs. Uh, Click the Follow button on my show page uh, so you don't miss news of the wonderful guests that come on the show every week. The second F is to become a friend of the show, uh, become one of the growing members of the Voices of the Sacred Feminine Family. The third F is for Facebook. Please like my Facebook pages. There's the Karen Tate page, the Voices of the Sacred Feminine page, the Walking in Ancient Path page, the Sacred Places of Goddess 108 Destinations page, and the new one, Goddess Calling. And if you go there and tell me, on on one of those pages, you heard that I'm giving away books to the first three listeners I hear from, you might just be a winner of my award-winning book, Walking in Ancient Path, Rebirthing Goddess on Planet Earth. So, Uh, It was also a finalist in the USA National Best Books. It discusses how one can work with the divine feminine energy, both personally and in your community. I detail magical experiences I've had in sacred places or in ritual, even in the dentist's chair. It discusses doing ritual, being inspired by goddess. I really come clean and say some pretty revealing things, sharing very personal and magical stories that happened when I believe God has really listened and interceded in my life, changing the path I was on. So you can win that book, Walking an Ancient Path, if you go to one of my Facebook pages and you're one of the first three Uh, listeners to the show that's in the United States. I can't mail books outside the United States. It's just too costly. But if you're one of the first three, I will send you a book. And you know what? If uh, you would rather purchase it, um, that's fine too. You can go to my website. You can go to Amazon. You can go to your local bookseller. You can go to any of the online sellers. So, um, let's... uh, Let's go ahead. Oh, I did want to tell you one other thing. My book, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations, that's my first book. Um, if you're in California or nearby, the book enables you to actually drive a west coast or western U.S goddess pilgrimage. Yes, you can do it all on your own. You can find out about all of these sacred sites in the western part of the United States. It tells you how to get there, gives you the history of the goddess, tells you about the place. So I don't think I've mentioned that in a really long time. So with summer upon us, when people are traveling, I thought I would go ahead and mention that. So uh, let's get to uh, Ariana Huffington's uh, 12 Steps to Thrive. You know, you may or may not be familiar with Ariana Huffington. She's Greek. She was once married to a U.S. politician, but no more. She's the founder of the Huffington Post, and I've had her sister on the show, Agapi Staphanopoulos. Uh, I was impressed with a talk Ariana gave to Brown University not that long ago, uh, when she called on the graduating class to rethink what they consider their wealth. To no longer just consider money and assets as wealth, but to consider other things, like our wonder, our service to humanity. You know, things that I'd really label ideals of the sacred feminine as your real assets. Well, she says, that life is a dance between making it happen and letting it happen. And she's just put out 12 steps to thrive, and I'd like to read them to you. She says, get 30 minutes more sleep tonight. That's one way to thrive. Use a skill or a talent you have to help someone benefit from it. Make a personal connection to people you might normally take for granted. This will make you feel more alive and reconnected. Move your body. Physical activity is an incredibly powerful component of our overall well-being. Meditate for at least five minutes a day. Make small gestures of kindness kindness, and giving a habit and pay attention to how this affects your mind, emotions, and body. Forgive yourself for any thought you are holding against yourself. Listen to your inner wisdom and let go of what you no longer need. Start a gratitude list. Living in a state of gratitude is the gateway to grace. Each night, turn off your devices and gently escort them out of your bedroom. Disconnecting from our technology to reconnect with ourselves is absolutely essential for wisdom. Focus on the rising and falling of your breath for 10 seconds whenever you are stressed. And finally, pick an image that ignites the joy in you. You know, I know these aren't all original. We've probably heard them before. But I think they bear repeating because we get so busy, we get on that hamster wheel of life, and we really just forget. I know I do. And um, in closing tonight's wisdom sharing, um, we have so much from Zohara, Ariana, um now I have for you essay number one by Glennis Livingstone, PhD. Glennis has been on the show some time ago and we should really get her back. She hails from down under. Yep, that's Australia or New Zealand, I can't, forget, I can't remember which, one or the other, and she's a real goddess advocate and a mover and shaker in her part of the world, a woman I am really happy to know. I believe she actually read this, uh, it's not that long, uh, at the National Socialist Conference in Sydney, and I think part two is in the works, and uh, if I get my hands on that, I will share it as well. But uh, here it goes. It's uh, essay number one, "Feminism and the Future of Religion," by Glennis Livingstone PhD. And she says, "Feminism, the ro- uprising of women, continues to chip away at patriarchal religions worldwide. Though the inroads may be small in some places, they are significant. The stone face of the father continues to be chiseled into. Though there is backlash and resistance to it, it does seem that once a woman has begun the journey home, with a capital H, there is no turning back. So the movement is unstoppable, and it spreads in ever-widening circles. Only the naive think that feminism is a spent force. We are as yet only scratching the surface. In Australia, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, there has been tremendous movement in the last 15 years, mostly on the grassroots level. Individuals have been increasingly expressing dissatisfaction with and awareness of the old patriarchal order of things, right throughout the country, not just in the cities. The old structures at this point remain intact, but they have become increasingly hollow as growing numbers of hearts and minds have departed in the quest for new stories, new stories that leave behind images of domination, hierarchy, and dualism. Throughout the world, in fact, women of many different religious traditions, Buddhist, Shinto, Hindu, Jewish— Catholic, Muslim, Native American, and in the context of many different cultures have been profoundly moved by feminism to look again at the stories, dogma, and practices that they and their foremothers grew up with. For the past 20 years or so, they have been growing in collective and individual empowerment. As a result, the forum's now in place for the continued in-depth studies of feminism, Spirituality and politics are very strong, very organized, and filled with women and some men of all ages and races. The power in these forums arises from an understanding of interconnectedness with all peoples, all life forms, the earth, and the cycles and seasons of nature, and our lives. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Weren't we just saying that with Sohara? And there is a deep commitment to the transformations necessary for the renewal of life. This is not to deny the very strong and often barbaric foothold that patriarchal religions still have in the lives of millions of women. Whereas in Western Christianity, misogy- misogynism reached its frenzied peak in the burning times of the Middle Ages. In other very powerful world religions today, misogynisms is misogyny is still peaking. That is, we must understand that in some religions the burning times are still in effect and indeed it is carried out in this very country. Females today are being mutilated, incarcerated, and murdered as a matter of routine religious practice and precious little is done to stop it since it comes under the sanctity of religious freedom. These religions will require much more disruption from within before anything will change, and it does have to come from believers, though the, those who understand the particular inner workings of their tradition and who, need, and who indeed are sincerely motivated to move their religious tradition out of what they believe to be the corrupt interpretations of their founders' teachings and mystical insights." Whether, in fact, the original founding insight was gender holistic or if this is just the pie-eyed hope of the reforming believers does not really matter. What does really matter is that the foot is lifted off women's necks. The work and vision of the reforming believers is essential if the religious consciousness of their group is to evolve, that is, to broaden and deepen, to take into account the divinity of the female. Of course, feminism in religion does not mean merely reforming or changing rules and laws that will hold otherwise dominating forces and individuals in check. It is not merely concerned with changing outward practices, but in the cases of suti, genital mutilation, the withholding of contraception, stoning, and the imprisonment of rape victims, such a change would go a long way. Rianne Eisler. In her book *Chalice and the Blade*, identifies not only the dominator paradigm of patriarchy or and uh, and androcracy, and, and sorry, as she names it, as a major force in the shaping of history, but also she identifies a partnership paradigm, which she names gylany, g-y-l-a-n-y. For Eisler, gylany denotes a linking of both halves of humanity rather than a ranking and she identifies how the Galanic urge to cultural evolution has also always been a constant factor in the shaping of history as it struggled to reemerge. She says that the acceptability of the androcratic solution is not in that it offers a viable answer to the problems of our world, but in the entrenched power of androcratic symbols and myths. And here's a quote for these images and stories continue to inculcate in our unconscious minds the fear that even to contemplate any deviation from androcratic premise and solutions will be severely punished, not only in this life, but also in the next. It is here, then, in the realm of myth, image, and symbols that feminists and religion find the bulk of their work in the diluting and relativist and relativizing of patriarchal dominator notions, stories and images, and then in the offering of alternatives. And people are reluctant, reluctant to cash in their old stories as witnessed in the worldwide rise of fundamentalism. There is a desperate clinging to officially sanctioned scripture t- scriptures, a quote hang on, I have to change the page um, there is a desperate clinging to officially. Uh, there is a desperate clinging to officially sanctioned scriptures, a quote, one true story, a monolith that will stand rigid and forever. Gene Houston describes this rise in fundamentalism as the sunset effect or the often observed phenomenon that when old traditions, politics, or institutions are about to fade out, they generally cut loose with a blazing rush of activity that belies their coming mortality." Unquote. But the need to change is pressing. Faith in and androcratic dogma, the power of the blade to deliver us, is diminishing across the world on a grassroots level. The despair and powerlessness experienced in our age is actually the beginnings of hope. Old stories, symbols, myths, and images no longer have the same power as it becomes obvious that they have failed to provide the vision needed to manifest a better world. People are hungering for new stories and visions. The hope is that we search within ourselves and in the background of recorded history and in prehistory and deep into the heart of existence we may find or create new images and stories that serve us and our planet better. That was by Glennis Livingstone, Ph.D. And if you go to the website Magoism, m-a-g-o-i-s-m.net, you can probably find a copy of this uh, essay, and it's called "Feminism and the Future of Religion." So, I hope that you enjoyed that. So in closing tonight, dear listeners, uh, remember, be proud that you are the cognitive minority. Speak out. Help shift the world paradigm by being who you are and walking your talk and believing what you believe. We are the women and men changing the world. And when things feel like they're getting tough, remember what Gandhi said. First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. Or what um, Monique Wittig said, there was a time when you were not a slave, remember that. You walked alone, full of laughter, you bathed bare-bellied. You say you have lost lost all all recollection of it, remember. You say there are no words to describe this time, you say it does not exist. But remember, make an effort to remember, or failing that, invent. Well, listeners, thank you for tuning in with me uh, last night and tonight. Uh, I will be back with you uh, next Wednesday at our uh, regular time. And my guest is Barry Eaton, and uh, he's an a awesome guy who has interviewed me on his show, and I found him so interesting in the work he's doing that um, he is going to be with me. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the other side Yes, he's a radio show host himself, and um, uh, he has a book, uh, Afterlife, Uncovering the Secrets of Life After Death, uh, and his new book, No Goodbyes. And, um, you know, we're going to be chatting a bit about that. So before I go, uh, one last thing. The
3: psychic state of the collective unconscious which is that consciousness of the planet. It's called the Catholic mind, the mind of the
0: Earth. Our ancestors understood that the animals and divine were all connected, they were together. But there wasn't a separation, and that's what we are trying to return to, is that sense that our animal nature is divine. It doesn't get in the way of the divine. It gets us closer to it. What's your idea of being fully alive as a human being? Because that's what's really spiritual. Write it down. Start writing your own Bible if you want. Sex is sacred. And by that, I just mean sweaty, fun, happy sex. Well, um, that was uh, Serena Roni dougal PhD, speaking in Joe Carson's film Dancing with Gaia. Dancing with Gaia explores the connections between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddesses Gaia. It features 15 visionaries, such as Serena, who give us the tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. The DVD comes a 40, with a 45-page mini-book and costs just $20. You can get your own copy at DancingWithGaia.com. And I do think, thank Joe Carson for running her commercials here. Uh, it does help me pay to keep Voices of the Sacred Feminine um, on the air, I do uh, pay out of my pocket to continue to do Voices of the Sacred Feminine as I have for the eight, uh, last eight or nine years, and uh, I do it as a service to the community. It is also a guilty pleasure. Um, I believe it is so important that we find our sacred roar, that ideals of the sacred feminine uh, have a voice and uh, that is what I'm dedicated to. And if you want to help contribute to that, um, please do. You can go to my website, uh, KarenTate.com, go to my Goddess Store page, scroll down past the free meditations. Yep, yep, see there's free stuff there. And uh, there's some PayPal buttons. You can make a donation of any amount, and any amount is truly appreciated. Don't go to Starbucks a couple times next month and uh, send us a donation to keep Voices of the Sacred Feminine on the air. So listeners, um, again, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you uh, for uh, tuning in. And I'm going to leave us on a uh, funny note. Uh, Celia, who uh, is one of the musical artists who uh, has me play her music here on the show, she has a naughty and pink album, and um, she has a song called The Hoo-Hoo Song. So, you know, just for kicks and giggles, here we go with uh, Celia's Hoo-Hoo Song. Good night, and tune in again next Wednesday. Have a wonderful weekend. Do,
2: do, 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 Dr. Bronner's makes your hoo-hoo tingle. Ladies, you know what I mean. Do 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 do, you can always tell the folks that you that there's a smile on their face and they always smell clean. Don't let them tell you that it's not okay. It's personal hygiene and oh by the way, Dr. Bronner's make your hoo hoo tingle. Ladies, you know what I mean. I'll get it's Dr. Bronner's and you go get the wine. Let's meet up in the bathtub. And have a real good time. I'll scrub away your sorrows. you promise all my pain. Let me pass here tomorrow and do it all again. Do, 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 Dr. Bronner's makes your hoo-hoo tingle. I use it every time I get the chance. Do, 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 Dr. Bronner's makes your hoo-hoo tingle. It feels like a peppermint.